Welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio with Linda Prater. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Each week with intriguing guests and topics, we'll bring you fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging a shift to new, healthier perspectives. Wise Health for Women Radio, helping women thrive. And now here's your host, Linda Prater. Morning. You're listening to Wise Health for Women Radio. I'm Linda Crater, and I am so pleased to present to you today Dr. Hardeep Full, who is an oncologist, uh, an amazing man who views his patients, his practice, and the whole journey of following a patient along a cancer path, which is a terrifying diagnosis for most people, with humanity and sympathy and individualized personalized treatment plans and i think many of us have had experiences with perhaps our daily doctors or other urgent care clinics things like that where we really feel like we're rushed in and out and there's more focus on you know writing in the computer than there is looking into your eyes i know i personally have had annual physicals where i'm like I I need to talk to you about something. I've come in with questions, and otherwise the head hasn't lifted from the computer screen. But we're not talking about a physician like that today. So without any further waiting, let's talk to Hardeep Fool today. Welcome to our program. Thanks for having me, Linda. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. I mean, I absolutely agree with you. Um, Physicians, more likely than not, don't... Well, you wouldn't get this usually, but they want to connect with the patient. That, right. That's not the impression we always get when we go to the doctor's office. We get um, this idea of, oh, they're too busy or they're stressed out, the hair's on fire, they're doing a million things at once. But if you align physicians to what they were trained to do and what mm-hmm. they went into it for, uh, the ones that are aligned that way and have work at a place that helps them achieve that, that ends up being the mission. That's that's what they end up delivering. It's just a matter of aligning that way. But it's very important to have that intention. I think sometimes practices are, are really not individual practices any longer. They're hired positions, they're hospitalists, and there are some, you know, mandates that come down from on high. And it gets in the way of the relationship of a patient and the physician. One of the things I, when I was reading up on you yesterday that I was really impressed upon was that you truly do care about that individual and you have to pair compassion with your wisdom because you've gained this with, didn't we talk about 15 years of additional training to become an oncologist? Yes, you're absolutely correct. And you don't want the training to stand in the way or become a title or even a rite of passage. It's so easy to forget that it's it's such a long journey, mm-hmm. not including undergrad. And if, if you're interested in, in science like I am, I did a five-year med school. That's one year extra of research. Right. I did a four-year internal medicine residency. It should have been three. And then a three-year fellowship. So I don't know if I did the math there. Maybe that's only 12, but 
<laughs> you count everything and you count even, you know, in high school, I was in eighth grade. I still remember my mom is an oncology nurse. Ah. She's the one who inspired me. I was going to become a scientist or engineer, but I used to volunteer with her at the VA hospital where I grew up in Arizona every day of every summer day for three months of the summer. That's where you'd find me volunteering at the VA, you know, doing stuff that wasn't doctor like, but getting to know people, um, connecting that has an incredible impression on people uh, as you as you go on this path. But that also tells you that this path has been there since I was 14 or 15. So, you know, when you count the years, it's not just the years after med school or after undergrad. It's the intentional years, the I'm aiming for this. It's going right. to be long. I may not get into this or that. I'm going to have to take tests and interview, prove my worth. And some people won't care about my good intentions. In the end, if you don't do a good test score or, or you know, right. don't interview well, for example, well, that's in, in my profession. That's like it doesn't matter what your scores are. If you if you can't talk to people, if you have a bad day, if statistics, if you don't apply to enough programs, mm -hmm. these are the hard lessons that physician trainees learn today. And I mentor a lot of physician trainees from high school on up because I know I didn't have that, and it's so important to have that that well, mentorship. I'm loving the fact that you had this inculcated at an early age, and your mother at the VA, I, I don't know if you're aware, I work with veterans as a, as a very large part of what I do, wow. and there is not a lot of personalized care at the VA. You really are, in many cases, your case number um, or your condition and there's very little humanity attached and I know this from first experience I spent many years you know going several times a week to Walter Reed and while there are very good physicians and PAs and nurse practitioners there are also those who are there because and they like the stability of the position they are cursory in terms of what they provide to the patient. So thank you for being, and your mother, for being one of those who works there. Because as we know, the cancer numbers are rising with the toxic exposure. And so there are more need for people like you. Let's segue back to the civilian journey. And I think really when, let's talk through when a new patient comes to you and they've been to many doctors before they get to you i imagine before they're referred yeah. to the oncologist tell me Absolutely. how you onboard someone if if you want to use that word or, or introduce <laughs> yourself to them mm -hmm. how do you initiate that patient relationship which is so vitally important to the outcomes absolutely i i think you have to see the person as an individual what would you do if someone told you, hey, you've got something wrong with you, I want you to see a cancer doctor. Uh -huh. Whether or not that's needed, um, people often don't realize as they're walking in to see me, they don't have a, either they don't have cancer or it's a benign problem or something that's very easily treated with surgery or let's say something else that's not chemotherapy. Uh -huh. But that word, the C word I call it, is a bad word, cancer. Yes. No one wants to hear that uh -uh. ever. <laughs> if no one wants to hear pre-cancer, about to become cancer, right. oncologist. So 
my the biggest thing I actually have been trying to do is the referring doctor educating them on when to use the right term. When to say, oh, there's a suspicious imaging finding or a slight mm -hmm. abnormality. I just want it to be checked out. I'm not worried. And this, again, gets down to um, process. You know, yes. the process is so important. If a doctor sees a result, let's say a primary care, and sends a referral, they're not calling the patient and saying, hey, I saw something. I'm presenting a referral. Their staff is calling on their behalf and saying, Dr. So-and-so saw this. They're sending you to a cancer doctor. We're <sighs> going to put the referral standby. How would you feel if you heard from a non-doctor sometimes on, on a, something like that? That's like a... A big shock. And a big well, shock. I have heard it. Yeah. And I can tell you it does not feel good. No. Because I was very fortunate. In my case, it was nothing. Mm -hmm. But that isn't the case for everyone. So I, I love the way I'm a huge believer in using the right words and framing the situation compassionately. Mm -hmm. Because I think we all have to remember there, but for the grace of God, go we. And so perhaps we should do that. You also mentioned something very important, which is that there are a lot of um, what I'll call middle medical staff, mm -hmm. very good people, very well trained, but they are passing on messages secondhand, thirdhand. And we really, when you hear the cancer word, you want to hear from the physician. Typically. Now, I also realized as not every physician understands the complexity of cancer care. We can't expect mm. them to. So a, a lump on a chest x-ray may be nothing. Mm -hmm. A lump on an exam could be a lipoma. Uh, a slight abnormality in the blood test could be just that, mm -hmm. a slight abnormality. So these are the variables I deal with, and they're not perfect. And I tell people, don't. it's not perfect. We're going to watch this. The key is when you have that first encounter. That was your original question. It was. You, you walk in with a smile. I introduce myself. We talk about how you're doing, how you're feeling. And then we talk about what you're being sent for. And I often start with a very open-ended question. And this is the way I was trained, is to ask, um, well, tell me about what you know so far about what's going on. Wh why is that important? I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say, hey, are they educated? Do they know how to speak about this? I want to see what is their grasp of what's happening. Once I know that, I can guide them. For example, if they say, I'm here for this cancer. I know I'm cancer. This is terrible news. And I can say, well, actually, I don't think it is that. It's this. Or or there's also many patients who say, I don't remember. They just sent me to an oncologist. I forgot. I'm so overwhelmed. I'll say, don't worry. Let me describe and let me show you what they saw and, and what I think. Mm. Um, taking the fear away from it, connecting, that is so critical. And in this post, you mentioned earlier, you know, post-COVID and so forth. Sure. It, things have changed. A lot of my patients are doing this on a telephone call, a video call, because right. they want to drive in. And the thing is, you can still read the room and, and do the same empathy and, and, and pleasantries on the phone with a video call, I feel, as an mm -hmm. in-person one. Mm -hmm. Not everyone needs to walk into my office, um, believe it or not. That's something people don't realize. Um, not everyone's going to need chemo. So... Sometimes I can figure out how patients are doing just by their ability. You know, when I tell my staff, hey, just schedule a video visit. It's a Tell them it's a very low-level visit. Mm -hmm. That helps to set expectations because then they say, oh, the doctor's not too worried. He's going to see me on the video phone. Maybe this isn't as bad as I thought. But there's others who say, 
why would he want to do that? I want to come in. What the heck? I, I have a terrible diagnosis. So you see, you see both and yes. just try to meet them where they are. And that's the key is to see them where they are, lift them up and give them knowledge and empower them. And if it's a cancer journey with chemo and all of that stuff, we can do it and we build up to that. Well, you're just not hitting them with a hammer over the head. And I think in this day and age of, well, I can search this, so I'm going to go search this. And Dr. Google tells me I have a 2% chance of living. And there's 6,552 reasons why this is serious. Do you find there's a lot of misinformation before they come to you and that you can quell those rumors and those concerns? Absolutely. I mean, the first thing you'll do if you have an abnormality, you'll look it up on Google. And <laughs> of course, uh, that does not, even with AI and with sophisticated tools, even with looking at literature and journal articles, mm -hmm. I have engineers and scientists who see me who are very insightful and smart. But if they're, let's imagine you look up the term lung cancer mm -hmm. and you read every literature article on lung cancer you're not going to leave there feeling good. So the question right. is, well, what kind? What stage? Um, is it lung cancer? Do you have a tissue diagnosis? The, the nuances are what's important. And most people don't know that, you know, that stage one, for example, you could be cured with a, you know, palliative surgery and you're done. Mm -hmm. um, or that, you know, I've had a patient recently who was traveling and had fevers and night sweats and a cough and a large lung mass, and everyone said, well, there it is, send him to the oncologist. They didn't even do a tissue biopsy. Uh -huh. So I'm seeing this person for, for a lung mass, and they say, well, I have lung cancer, I'm not gonna make it. And I said, what cancer? How do you know it's cancer yeah, if there's I, no biopsy? They, they say, the CT shows, and I usually pause people when they say about the CT or the X-ray or whatever, and I, sure. say, I say, actually, that, this is a picture of you. It's not a cancer diagnosis. It's just a picture of something at this point in time. A tissue is the issue. That's the other rhyme that I use. Tissue mm. is the issue. I like, <laughs> so, I like that. But that, that patient that I was just talking about mm -hmm. ended up having a fungal infection that he probably caught from traveling in Mexico. And all of the symptoms pointed that way. The fevers, night sweats. It was an infectious process. Cancer doesn't developed that way. Mm -hmm. But if you look lung mass, very few articles on Google are going are gonna to say, don't worry, it could be tuberculosis or something else. No, they're going to say, go see an oncologist immediately, get a biopsy, get a CT, get an MRI. Here's the types of chemos. And I don't know why it's geared towards that, but in general, searching online is not it's not off. a good idea. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's not, not a good idea because also they often will say to you, the mass is this many centimeters. And mm -hmm. then when you go look up, you mm -hmm. know, if it's this huge thing, mm -hmm. it it is even more frightful what Dr. Google will tell you. So that's why I bring this up because I think most people have a curiosity. We do have this at our disposal, but it is not infallible. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. My goodness. I, I think one of the things that I loved also about the humanity part of things is that when you're educating the internist, 
you're also help spreading the word about not being an alarmist, mm -hmm. about taking it one step at a time. This may be a long staircase, but let's focus on that first step to quote Martin Luther King Jr. But I, I think it's important that more physicians are taught this because while most you know, well-educated people have a lifelong learning desire, they're overwhelmed. And physicians, mm. especially these days, are overwhelmed by all of the regulations and all of the medical records and all of the codes and all of the things that you have to do to be a practitioner these days. But I imagine they are very grateful for that because they don't want to give the wrong impression to their patients either. Am I correct? You're absolutely correct. In the vast majority, and in fact, not even the majority, every person that I've met, a primary care or referring doctor has mm -hmm. the best intention in mind. They are doing what they've reflexively been taught from their training. Mm. And it's not that their training is outdated or they're not a lifelong learner. Cancer care, even hematology care, we haven't talked about hematology being no. half, half of the practice because it's hematology oncology. Right. It's difficult to learn. It took me three years of a fellowship after a you know extensive training to learn the nuances, to learn that a lab instrument can make a slight 10% error, and mm. these types of cells are normal, those are not, and the patterns and trends, you know, along with symptoms, match a benign cause. So I give credit to those on the front line, so to speak, the ones mm -hmm. who are intaking all our patients and have the incredible responsibility of saying yes referral, no referral. I mean, just imagine the liability that a doctor has to say, we're going to watch that. It's probably nothing compared to the alternative, how easy you could say it is to refer out and say, I'm not comfortable with this. I'd rather refer out than to take chances. That is a tough call to make. If you're mm -hmm. a physician, knowing that you have I don't know, 100 different fields to keep track of at all, all times, all of which are evolving fast. Yes. And you have five minutes to make a quick clinical decision with a patient in front of you waiting, and you're 30 minutes behind on your schedule. Right. I, I don't blame doctors for having to quickly and reflexively think. And, it, and you know, a lot of people make this misnomer about our profession, that it's liability. They're just covering their own liability. They don't want to be sued. I would say a vast majority of doctors just simply care too much. They you could, you could argue it's an OCD problem. You could say they're so careful. They want mm -hmm. to never give the uh, benefit, of, give, give any doubt to something that could be brewing. I, we, we talk about that sometimes with my patients. I, I say, you probably don't have anything wrong, but there could be something brewing. Let's watch this. And that's even for me as an oncologist when I don't know what's going on and we have to watch it. So the bottom line is I give incredible credit. I, I again, call them frontline heroes because- mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I don't have a practice if I don't have uh, excellent primary care physicians and other specialties referring to me. Well, you make an excellent point, and I do agree with you that most of them do care. I think we are also hitting a couple of times, though, that there is overwhelm mm -hmm. to the way medicine is practiced these days, and I think it's, it's absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just curious. During the pandemic, I feel as though, uh, well, first of all, there were many cancer patients who were not able to receive their care, but I also felt that there was a lack in teaching people about healthy living and lifestyle choices and nutrition and movement. And there was so much fear and concern 
going on that added stressors and that's never good. Fear doesn't make for good outcomes. Neither does high cortisol levels and inflammation and all of those sorts of things. And so when you're treating patients for cancer, I imagine you're also looking at their lifestyle choices and what they are able to do on their own to empower them. Correct? Absolutely. Now, with that said, it's very difficult in retrospect, because after you have a cancer diagnosis, mm -hmm. first thing a patient will do is they'll blame themselves. They'll say, uh, I could okay. have done this. I could have done that. A, a lot of patients still in this day and age are smoking, even smoking up to the day they see me or even on treatment. And again, you can't blame them. This is a pattern. This is a Mm -hmm. Most likely something that happened in you know 1950s to 70s, but a habit that's hard to break 80 years later. Um, so it, it's yes, and then there's diet, but it's hard to say, especially right. for someone who was healthy their whole life. Um, I have a lot of patients who exercise. You know, I'm in San Diego, as you know, so mm -hmm. people are out and about all the time, and obesity is probably a little less in where we live compared mm -hmm. to other places. Um, people are generally active. People are generally eating more or less healthy. Uh, but, you know, people walk into my practice and say all the same things. I should have done this. Uh, even if they didn't smoke, you know, I shouldn't have, let's say, drank a glass of wine a day, or I shouldn't have put the cell phone in my wa uh, you know, in my, in my pocket. You know, there's all these things. Wi-Fi, I shouldn't have had my Wi-Fi on. Well, we don't know if that's a risk factor. Uh, if you go to the grocery store and even buy the organic section uh, of food, I've heard from some grocers, when I ask them, how come this is overpriced? Is it actually different? I've had people say, actually, it's grown in the same farm, but a different part. We still have to wash it because it could still have pesticides. So I say to myself, how do we even control our food source and what we're exposed to or not? I mean, we make conscious choices on the mm -hmm. types of things we eat, mm -hmm. but that gets into access and affordability. And that also gets into the fact that you could do everything right and still right. get cancer for which the reason is, that's why we have screening programs. That's why you do a mammogram regardless, mm -hmm. a colonoscopy, a pap smear, PSA testing for men. You do these because you could do everything right and still get cancer. So You're a lot absolutely right. I mean, I, I knew people who lived healthfully, active, underweight, well, or at the right weight. And mm -hmm. um, one in particular, died of a glioblastoma, a brain tumor. Yes. And so, you know, you're absolutely right. If someone like that gets sick, it actually starts to concern those around them who go, oh no, if he could get sick, you know, mm -hmm. there, you're right. There are no guarantees. We are not, we are not born with a guarantee and this will happen. Um, but I, I do find that people are paying more attention these days to doing what they can to keep themselves, I don't know, in the in better health and taking a look mm -hmm. at things. Let's talk about the, I love this quote that you had, I believe it was on Twitter I read it, that compassion must be paired with wisdom. Explain that a little bit. Right, I was actually uh, expanding upon a post where, um, if I can get into this, please. A very touching post that I saw from a barber actually in Brazil, of all places. I wasn't even following the guy, but his video of this woman who came to his uh, 
Barbara I watched Shaw, the video. Lot, it was very moving. Incredibly moving. I mean, it's basically a woman about to undergo cancer therapy, very scared. Some women, you know, you know, your hair loss, is, it's obviously about identity. You've had mm -hmm. Kate Milligan on here, and I've spoken exactly. to her. Hair is identity. It's personality. It's privacy. And that's the first thing to go when you start thinking of losing your identity to cancer, you know, thinking of hair loss, and especially for women. Mm -hmm. So it's a very touching video of, of this barber shaving off her head, and she's crying, and he's hugging her. And then he said, you know what? Let's just screw this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shave mine as well. And, and that's an act that's been done many, many times. Right. But in the way it was done and how it was kind of broadcasted, uh, I even made like a, a video of it with you know music that I thought was mm -hmm. very inspiring. And that, that post prompted, I think I got 1.6 million views. I've never gotten any number of views from anything I've done. And really, I gave the barber the credit. I, I linked his account. So he you did. amplifies his message because it's a message that's global. It's nothing that I did or he did. He, his intent was not to sell more haircuts. It was to say, look, guys, this is what matters. This is what it's all about. Um, and, and on that, on you know, of all the comments, I remember a lot of people saying, this is sympathy, isn't it? Or is it empathy? Or, or is it <laughs> compassion? Wait, what, what, what does this person have? It created this interesting dialogue. And so then we started talking. It, this is what I love about, this is what I really want. I don't just want likes and followers. I want discussion. Right. So it led to another post, and, and this actually helped me connect with another lady who posted a phenomenal um, web page about sympathy versus empathy versus mm -hmm. compassion. Mm -hmm. She's a Canadian woman who lost her son early in a very tragic accident, extremely sad, but she made some amazing graphics and discussions on those three terms. So I, I amplified her voice. I literally posted that and I gave her credit, and I said, this is amazing. You, In one picture you described what these things are mm -hmm. and so that led to so we can even define these you know, sympathy typically is you know feeling sorry for someone but not in a negative way mm -mm. empathy is saying how do you feel in their shoes understanding how they feel um going a step beyond compassion is because sometimes people say putting it into action even going a step beyond that and so um you asked earlier about, about Compassion being, um, what was your question about compassion with wisdom, right? Um, yes, compassion must be paired with wisdom was the quote that was either in the thread or I thought it was on yours, yes. but I could be wrong. Yes, Compa and then so com this let this is so interesting how things build upon each other. Mm -hmm. Then people started talking about compassion and, and how we can use compassion in the workplace, in uh, interactions with each other. But someone made a very, and this was actually an article in Harvard Business Review. And mm -hmm. an art, uh, the author of this article uh, posted to me and said, check this out. What do you think of this? Compassion's great. Empathy's great. But without intent, without guiding it, sometimes compassion can even be misplaced. And so what he was talking about was in the workplace, when right. they compassion, whether it's a physician office or any office, any office, you must have wisdom as you do it. In other words, you must know when to pull back, when to apply it. It can't be empty compassion. It can't be compassion for the sake of it to make people go through the motions. Um, there are times, you know, he was talking about leadership. There are times as a leader, what you do may not seem compassionate. It may seem cold and uh, authoritative kind of. And no one wants to be labeled that way. But that's what his article was really getting at, was there's times to be wise and say, it's not all fluff. 
you know, there's times when you have to make tough decisions and be a little bit authoritative, kind of say, this is how we're doing it. I could be wrong, but this is the way we're going to do, do it. Thanks, everyone, for your feedback. So just really interesting leadership styles. And look yes. how that all started, this whole conversation, this piece. It's so amazing as you reflect and, and, and communicate and connect with people. They open your mind so many excellent ways. Well, I actually took that uh, post, and his name is Rasmus Hugard. Yes. And it, it, it was really wonderful because... There are people to whom defaults are automatic negative thinking, ants, and it's very possible through the wonderful plasticity of our brains to change that. And I think that optimism does help with attracting other people who are also positive but realistic. I'm not, I'm not being Pollyanna here. I am just saying, though, that I think words can be powerful weapons or they can be powerful connectors. And those are the things that I focus on intentionally. And I know I can hear it. You do, too. And so these are wonderful discussions. I, I want to make sure we're going to have to have another show because we're <laughs> running out of time on this one. Um, but I am I, I'm just thinking that you have provided so many nuggets. You talk about the referring physician, um, how you have to have a relationship with them, how you educate them on just the, the, the better way to refer someone to you. I love the part about tell me what you know so far, because if you learn immediately from a patient that what they know is overly dramatic and incorrect, you can automatically shift the conversation. You can connect with that patient. I, I, and I love the compassion and in individualized um, targeted therapy and personalized medicine because medicine always goes through ebbs and flows and pendulum swinging. Mm -hmm. And it really seems as though we are trying to move back to personalized medicine and taking a look at just you and, and making it about the patient. I want people to be able to get in touch with you. And you're on Instagram at Hardeep MD, mm H -hmm. A R D E E P M D. And you're also on Twitter under Hardeep, H A R D E E P P H U L L M D. And I would encourage our listeners to connect with you there and to follow you and, and read these posts because. Somebody you know or you could end up needing physician assistance and needing to understand these things before you go down this patient journey. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really am just so impressed. Like I said, we will have you back because there are other <laughs> discussions that we, well, we talked about some bullet points before we started today. And I, I think that we really, <laughs> we, we could have a series here, but I we think it's very could. important because regrettably there is a lot of cancer in the world, but I know many success stories and mm -hmm. they're usually with physicians such as yourself who do take an individualized approach and it makes a giant difference. Have I left anything out? I want to make sure you have the last word. 
Oh, you're so kind. I, I think the only other thing I was going to say about, we talked about government hospitals and how I was inspired growing up with my mother yes. at the VA. You know, I would say to all the listeners that not everything is negative about government hospitals. I did That's a majority true. majority of my training, whether it was in Cleveland or Arizona or California, at VA hospitals, for example, and they're evolving along with everything else. I'll they tell you the best thing about a government hospital, and I know there's a lot of stereotypes. Oh, people are there for you know the uh, easy cush job; they can't be fired. But I, I'll tell you again, there are gems there. There are people there who I've found that I've never found elsewhere. And the greatest thing, let's say, about a government hospital like a VA uh, is that the, first of all, the mission you're serving our veterans, and I have a mm -hmm. huge passion for that. Second of all, is the fact that you don't need insurance. I mean, once you're service connected. All these, we'll talk about this on a future future podcast, mm -hmm. that there's financial toxicity along with drug toxicity that patients endure in their journey. At the VA, I've never seen financial toxicity. You can get a drug almost free, basically free. Um, and that's, people People label this, they put charged terms on this, socialized medicine, oh, universal health care. It's a beautiful thing for some patients when, when you can say, you don't have to worry about your finances. That's one less stressor. Let us help you. Um, so there's many things that government hospitals do better than the private industry. And they're evolving just like my oncologist colleagues at Walter Reed or the VA in San Diego or Tucson are cutting edge. I asked them for advice. They're just as good, if not better. So I wanted to end with that because I started with that. I said, that's where my journey is. Good for you. I have incredible pride for <laughs> for these institutions. Right, and and bookending with that perspective is very, very important. I do know that the the cancers are rising due to the toxic exposure uh -huh. that people, we're still learning. We'll mm -hmm. st we're still learning about what affects us. I think that's why there's concern over the train uh, wreck in Ohio, because again, toxic exposure our bodies weren't designed for that. And so it's it's really a shame. But I do agree with you. There are good doctors and, and there are, I don't want to say bad because I don't <laughs> know that there are truly bad doctors. There, there may be some. But for the most part, there, there are limitations on what people yeah. can do these days. And I, I find that unfortunate. But I again, your journey is just wonderful because you started with an intention. You purposely went after the steps to get there. And I imagine you have a very proud mother. Yes, she's extremely proud. <laughs> I'm certain of that. Again, we want to make sure you can find Hardeep. It's H-A-R-D-E-E-P-P-H-U-L-L-M-D on Twitter and Hardeep Full on Instagram. And thank you so much for giving your wisdom. Again, we will have you on later, but thank you so much for coming on today and having this really fascinating discussion with me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Linda. It's been an honor. I really enjoyed this. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in today. You can find more shows at wisehealthforwomenradio.com.